beginning, in the beginning. Men gave names to all the animals in the beginning, a long time ago. We saw an animal that liked to growl, big furry paws, and he liked to howl. Great big furry back and furry hair. Uh, I think I'll call it a bear. Men gave names to all the animals in the beginning. So much grass until she was filled. Saw milk coming out, but he didn't know how. He said, I think I'll call it a cow. Men gave names to all the animals in the beginning. In the beginning. Long time ago, I saw an animal that liked to snort horns on his head that weren't too short. It looked like there was nothing that he couldn't pull. He said, I think I call it a bull. Let's pray. <laughs> so, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to preach. I pray that you would help us remember the revelation because it's been several weeks since we had a sermon from the revelation. And so, Lord, would you help everybody connect uh, with that book and with our series and most of all with you? Be glorified in us, Lord Jesus, we pray. 
We pray in your name, calling upon the power of your spirit. Amen. Robert Fulgham writes about a time that he was in charge of 80-some kids in the church fellowship hall. The adults were off doing something, you know, and it was just, it was just crazy. And you need to find some way to keep order. And so we had all the kids play this game called Giant Wizard Dwarf. Giant Wizard Dwarf is kind of like rock, paper, scissors, but it's an enacted game where you take the name of a giant wizard or dwarf and then you have to act out the name. And with a partner, then you do a little competition and you see who, who wins, who, 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 who survives. Kids, kids were running everywhere. And so we yelled out, right now, you need to decide if you're a giant wizard or dwarf. As children took their places, he saw this one little girl walk up and stand right in front of him. With a soft voice, very concerned, she said, where do the mermaids stand? <laughs> Pastor Fulgham uh, didn't know what to say. So, so where do the, he repeated, where do the mermaids stand? She said, yes, where do the mermaids stand? I am one. He said, but there's no such thing as mermaids. And she said, oh, yes, there is. I am one. Where do the mermaids stand? She knew she wasn't a giant wizard or, or, or dwarf. She, she was a, a mermaid, and she was not about to go stand where a giant wizard or dwarf would, would stand. She knew her name and assumed that Pastor Fulgham knew just where the mermaids should stand. wonder how she, she knew her name. I mean, wouldn't you like to know your name the way she knew her name? When my daughter Becky was little and people would ask her her name, she would say, my name is Pretty Pretty Princess. She knew that was her name because her father called her that name, and it fit. She was very comfortable with that name. Becky, Pretty Pretty Princess, Hyatt. She no longer goes by that name. She's 26, and people have called her a lot of other names. And sadly, She's believed those names. Names are really big in the Bible. We, in our society, we usually pick names just because they're, you know, because they're pretty, like uh, Greg or Jill or Susan or, or, or Peter. But in the Bible, they mean something and often create something. Actually, all things are created with words. And if you think about it, words are names. So in the beginning, God says stuff like, let there be plants, and there were plants. Let there be fish, and there were fish. Uh, let there be man created in my own image. And there was man in God's image. Kind of. <laughs> like God, man names things. So, so God has man name the animals, which in the words of Madeline LaIngle was asking Adam to help in the creation of their wholeness. Adam names the animals, but struggles to name his helper. Scripture says that God is our helper. And then a snake tempts the woman and the man to name themselves good, which makes them not good. And after that, Adam isn't much good at, at naming things at all. And maybe never was. Which kind of makes us wonder uh, about God, for Adam doesn't appear to be very in the image of God, if you will. So did God mess up? 
I mean, isn't that the question? Look at us. Did God mess up? Or is he still dishing out names? Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I love that verse. Wouldn't it be incredible to hear God call your name? Well, at first... God calls the name Jacob. And that's interesting because Jacob is a very human sort of name. Jacob literally means heel grabber, supplanter, or, or, or cheat. Uh, Jacob, you know, cheats his brother, the firstborn, out of his birthright. And as you know, he was born grabbing his brother's heel. And so his parents name him Jacob. And then God names him Israel. God names him with his word who appears to be a man. And so, of course, it's Jesus who is the firstborn of all creation. He wrestles with Jacob all night long, prevails, and then gives Jacob his blessing, which is a birthright, and then names him Israel, which means wrestles with God. You don't just wrestle with, with the firstborn, your, your big brother, firstborn brother Esau. You wrestle with the firstborn son of God, Israel. At the cross... You know, we tried to take Jesus' birthright, didn't we? And at the cross, Jesus gave us his birthright and a name. Well, my point right now is, is just this, that God called uh, Jacob and named him Israel. He knew Jacob's human name, and he even used it to give Jacob his divine name, Israel. And he did it through his word, Jesus. Jesus is the word through whom God names everything. When Jesus first met Simon Peter, remember what he said? You are Simon. You are Simon, son of Jonas, but you shall be called Rock. That's Cephas in Aramaic, or Petros, Peter in Greek. And of course, Peter appeared to be anything but a rock. On the night that Jesus needed a friend like a rock more than anything in the world, it would seem, Peter proved to be just about as soft as jello and denied Jesus three times. So, did the word of God fail? Did the name fail? You may remember, Scripture says that Jesus glanced at Peter that night in the house of the high priest as they led him off to be crucified. And then Peter, he went out and wept bitterly. And then the risen Christ appeared to Peter, reminded him of who he was, and Peter became who he was, the rock on which Jesus built his church. So, Peter did not make a name for himself. But with a name, God made Peter. Sometimes Jesus gives a new name, and sometimes he gives new meanings to old, old names. I, I suspect that he always does. Remember, remember what Peter called James and John? Remember John wrote the, the Revelation. Remember what he called them uh, when he first met them? Remember his name for them? Sons of Thunder. Yeah, Boanerges, Sons of, of Thunder. 
I think people must have thought that was because of their, uh, in, in, of their anger, their, their temper, and they had a terrible temper. At one point, they called out fire and thunder on an entire Samaritan village, but Jesus rebukes them and reveals the nature of his fire and his thunder. James goes on uh, to preach the gospel of love and is martyred. John now writes the revelation revealing that God's fire, God's thunder, is love. Revelation 2, verse 12, Jesus dictates these words to John and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. That's Jesus. And remember, the sword is coming out of his mouth in, in chapter 1. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Pergamum was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith. My faith, as if faith in them was somehow his faith in them. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you do not deny my faith. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Jesus calls Antipas my faithful witness. We don't know exactly how Antipas died, except we're, we're pretty sure that he died because he would not renounce the name of Jesus. More than likely, he died in a Colosseum, like, like in, in Smyrna, you know, with a crowd of, of people chanting names at him, chanting horrible names at him. Maybe, I don't know, all sorts of names at his. It reminds me of the movie Gladiator or the movie Spartacus, or even the TV show Spartacus. I would not recommend watching it because it's incredibly explicit, like Roman society was explicit, but it has this fascinating plot device. A slave owner gives the man Spartacus his, his name, and the crowd uh, chants his name. They chant his name. We never know his true name, however, except that those names that the crowd chants and the slave owners give are not his name. Uh, that's, 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 that's not his name. Spartacus, champion, traitor, gladiator, none of those, those are his name. So he keeps reminding himself, that is not my name. Whether the names the crowd chants are good or bad, he reminds himself. That is not my name. And that supplies the drama. Will he, whoever he is, let his enemies name him? In Rome, they learned to control the crowds by issuing white stones that served as tickets to the Colosseum where they would receive free bread like manna as they judged people, named people, and then watched them die. In Rome, white stones also indicated the judgment of a jury. Each juror would be given a black stone and a white stone uh, to name, uh, to, uh, with which to, to judge someone. White indicated innocent, black indicated uh, guilty. But to, but to name something, to name something is to judge something. Jesus commends the church in Pergamum for holding fast his name in the days of Antipas, his faithful witness. You know, to receive Jesus' name is to deny some other names. And to accept some other names is to deny Jesus' name. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh is salvation. So if Yahweh is salvation, it means that 
We are not salvation. It means that Caesar is not salvation. It means that uh, Donald Trump and Barack Obama are not salvation. It means that the farmer's insurance company and the safety features on your car and a vacation in, in Mexico, that's not salvation. That's not salvation. Even the church is not salvation. To profess Jesus' name is to renounce some other names, and it tells us something about our own name. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation, and Yahweh means something like I am that I am. Yahweh is beingness, the ground of all being, the creator. So if he's the creator, I am not the creator, but someone that is created. And if Yahweh is the Savior, that means I am not the Savior. (laughs) but someone that is saved. In other words, God names me, and I don't name myself. The snake said, take from the tree of knowledge and make yourself in the image of God. Take knowledge of the good and make yourself good. Make a name for yourself. To make a name for yourself must be to renounce the name that God gives you. That first Adam, and you know Adam means humanity. That first Adam and that first Eve, which means mother of the living, that first Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and they no longer hear him call their name in the cool of the day. Imagine if you never, ever, ever heard someone call your name. Oh, that would be hell. And I think that is hell. In Genesis 11, all those orphaned and and widowed from the garden, they get together and this is what they say. I, I quote, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower that reaches to heaven. God finds out about the plan, and he comes down and busts up their tower and tears it down. He takes away their name. Maybe you've been building a tower. Maybe it's called something like success. You've been building the tower in order to make a name for yourself. Don't be surprised if God comes along and starts tearing it down. In fact, he tears all of them down. It's called death. That's a drag. But maybe he has another name for you. Not one you build that reaches up to heaven, but one he builds that comes down from heaven to you. Isaiah prophesied of the days that the towers of Jerusalem would be torn down. It actually happened in 586 B.C. and also in 70 A.D. Isaiah prophesied, chapter 4, verse 1, saying this, Seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread. We will wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Understand? Uh, They were so desperate for a name uh, that they would jump into any man's bed just to have a name. It seems that any name is better than no name, and maybe that explains all of our sins, right? We're desperate for a name. In Isaiah 62, God says to Jerusalem through Isaiah, you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord 
shall give you. At the end of the Revelation, John sees the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, her helper. She's a princess prepared for her prince. She can't name herself, but God has named her and is revealing her name. Well, through John, Jesus says to the angel in Pergamum, you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Next verse. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent! If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I think he's saying something like this. The crowd, the crowd tries to name you with white stones, like they tried to name Antipas. But I will give you a stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it and, of course, the one who wrote it, which is me. But isn't that amazing? You don't know your name. Did you know that? In fact, no one knows your name <laughs> except the Lord. And there's a stone upon which your name is inscribed already. St. Paul writes that the Father names every family in heaven and on earth. And, and we're already seated in the heavenly places with, with Christ. We'll imagine what it will be like on that day to read your name. I bet that moment, the moment that you read it, you'll all at once find yourself entirely at home. I mean, you won't try to be it, for you'll realize that you already are it, and have in some weird way already been it, or have always been it, completely it. You are it, so you won't try to be yourself. You will just be yourself, your true self. You won't try to be good, because you realize you just are good. And couldn't be more good than, than you already are. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that you would walk in them in perfect freedom and joy and, and peace. You'll exclaim, so this is who I am. This is who I am. And you will be at home with I am that I am. And indeed, all of creation, you'll be at home with yourself. And in yourself and yourself in God, and God in you. And so you will exclaim, Oh God, thank you for making me, me. <laughs> I could not imagine a better me than me. At home. What a gift. And yet, and yet Jesus does say this, to him who conquers. And before that, I have a few things against you. Ah, like what? For one, 
He says, you have some that hold the teachings of Balaam. In Numbers 25, we learn that Balaam taught Israel to yoke himself to Baal of Peor. Israelites did that by eating sacrificial meals offered to the idol Baal and literally whoring, that's what scripture says, whoring with Midianite women, probably temple prostitutes. In Pergamum, believers were tempted to participate in sacrificial meals offered to pagan gods, including Caesar, and in so doing, maintain a good name in Roman society. They were also tempted to sexual immorality. That might just mean adultery, but probably ritual adultery, which was blatant idolatry. In Scripture, all idolatry is called adultery. It's marrying yourself to another God, and it hurts the living God. It's marrying yourself to another God and allowing that God to name you. So what's your name? Maybe Republican? Or Democrat? American? Doctor? Professor? Senator? Reverend? If that's not just what you do, but who you are, then the folks that gave you that name must be your idol. We even take names like Gucci, <laughs> or Levi's, or Chevrolet, or Ford, or Denver Broncos. We even put them on our body to tell everybody our name, our name, who we are. We love names, and we love to give each other names, names like successful, magna cum laude, employee of the month, sweetheart, great guy, good preacher. You know. If you let people name you good, that means you'll also let them name you bad. The world has given me a lot of names. <laughs> many that I cannot repeat in a place like this. But many that you might call good. Names that fill me with pride and then fill me with terror. For if they've named me good, they can name me bad. And then I realize I'm imprisoned to gods that are not gods. One of them may be even myself. We use names to control each other, right? To judge, divide, quantify, qualify. Once you've named someone a liberal or a conservative, or maybe even a Muslim, Christian, or Jew, or maybe schizophrenic, narcissist, giant wizard, or dwarf, well, they're just a little easier to control, right? At least in your own mind. And even later, in reality. See, I think Jesus is saying this. I have this against you. You're letting the world name you. And then he says, you also have some that hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. No one's sure exactly what that means, but one enticing idea is that Nico refers to the verb nikao, which means to, 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 to conquer or be superior, and laetans refers to laos, which means the, the people. So some have speculated that, that Nicolaeans means something like a uh, conqueror or better than the people, and they were the first to teach a split between the clergy and the laity. The, the idea that you need the professional clergy to name you. Now, that sounds like something that no one would ever want, right? But I can tell you from experience, that is exactly what everyone wants, <laughs> in including me. We want someone to tell us who's in and who's out. 
Who's a giant? Who's a wizard? Who's a dwarf? And exactly where each person should stand. You know, everyone loves those spiritual gifts tests. Remember, those were really big about 20 years ago. I think they're still really popular today. You fill out a form, you answer some questions, and it tells you what your spiritual gifts are, and it gives you a name, like prophet, teacher, encourager, administrator, and then it tells you what to do, exactly where to stand. Well, those tests can be helpful, but they can't tell you who you are. They don't know your name. I don't know your name. No one knows your name except the Lord. When I was in college, I went on a campus crusade retreat. Because it was the first campus crusade retreat I went on, I got a red folder. A red folder meant that you were a beginner Christian. A blue folder meant that you were like an intermediate Christian. And a green folder meant that you were like an advanced Christian. I was so insulted that they gave me a red folder that I snuck behind the counter and I stole a green folder. I stole one. <laughs> Just to prove how spiritually advanced I, I truly was. You see, it was wrong of them to judge me and reduce me to red, green, or blue Christian. But what was truly disturbing is the fact that I was so desperate for a name, I let them name me. <laughs> Sorry to yell, but I, I turned them into an idol. After I graduated from seminary and was ordained in the Presbyterian Church, I let them name me Reverend. You know what that means? I looked it up because I thought, what is that? It means deserving of reverence. It means you have to revere me. But you see, because I gave them the power to name me Reverend, I also gave them the power to name me Irreverend. So when they took away my ordination, it felt like they took away me but they didn't. They didn't kill me. They only killed the false me, which liberates the true me. And they can't hurt the true me. In fact, they don't even know who I am. <laughs> Actually, I don't even know who I am. See, I think Jesus is saying, don't let the world name you. And don't let the church name you. Don't even you name you. In other words, don't try to be yourself because not even you know who yourself actually is. The moment you try to be yourself, what does it reveal? <laughs> that you're not yourself. Don't try to be yourself because then you're not yourself. And don't try to be yourself because not even you know who yourself actually is. Jesus is saying, you have to lose yourself. <laughs> This is what he says. You have to lose yourself for myself in order to find yourself. So don't try to be yourself. Set your eyes on Jesus' self. Paul put it this way. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by any of you or any human court. I don't even judge myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. I leave that judgment to God. It's the Lord who judges me. Both Paul and John taught that Jesus is our judgment, and that makes some sense, right? For he's the only one that knows the name on, on, this, on the stone. He's the only one that hands us the stone, upon which is the name that, that no one knows except the one who wrote it, and of course the one who then uh, receives it. I mean, how could you or anyone else judge yourself good? When you don't even know who or what your good self is. Make sense? Even Peter didn't know his whole name. 
just that it included the word rock. And John didn't know his whole name, just that part of it was thunder, and that he was just learning what thunder actually is or, or was. Actually, John referred to himself by another name. Uh, he referred to himself by actually no other name than this name. And do you remember what that name was? Beloved. Who I am. Except Jesus loves me. See, maybe right now we don't need to know our name, our full name. We just need to know one name, Jesus' name. We only need to know Jesus' name, and not denying his name does tell us something about our name. And it does tell us what our name is not. God is salvation, and so I am saved, and I am not the Savior. God is creator, and so I am created, and I'm not the creator. God is father, and so I am his child. John writes, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. So, anything unlike him is not who you truly are. Paul writes that God has made Jesus our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. redemption. So anything wise, right, good, and new in you is Jesus in you. Paul calls him the eschatos Adam, the ultimate man, the firstborn of all creation, and he calls us Christ's temple his bride, his body. I think that means that any name that doesn't stick on the resurrected Jesus does not stick on you. And it should not stick on me. It's not my name. The other day, I, I googled the phrase, that's not my name, and I, I found this video. Spartacus! That is not my name. They call me hell. They call me Stacy. They call me hell. They call me Jane. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. They call me blood. They call me rude boy. They call me boy. They call me mate. That's not my name. That's not my name. that catchy? That's not my name. That's not my name. That's a song by the Ting Tings with a cover by Dizzy Rascal. I think we should all learn that song and sing it to the devil. I do. I've been singing it for the last three days. The devil will whisper, anxiety. And I'll sing, that's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. 
And how do I know that? Because that name does not fit on, on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. It doesn't fit on him. So that's not my name. The devil whispers despair. And I sing, that's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. Uh, the devil whispers arrogant and worthless. And I sing, that's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. You see, if I try to make myself not arrogant, if I try to make myself humble, what happens? I get arrogant about my humility. If I try to make myself worthy, I make myself worthlessly arrogant. And that's a lie about me, who I am and who I am is. If I try not to despair, you know what I do? I just despair that I will never stop despairing. And if I try not to be anxious, I get so anxious about all my anxiety. But... If I consider myself dead to sin, as Paul says in Romans 6, I begin to feel alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, I'm saved and created in the image of God, not by works, lest any man should boast, but by the grace of God through faith, and this faith is not of myself. The works of the flesh are obvious writes Paul. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So, if an accuser points out in you things like these, don't panic. Say thank you for exposing that darkness to the light, but that's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. Yeah, I may have done some of those things. But that's not my name. I must have just thought that was my name. And as a man thinketh, so is he. I must have thought that was my name. But that's not my name. I repent. You know what repent means? It means change your mind. I repent. That's not my name. Revelation 2.16, Jesus says, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them. What an interesting way to put it, against them. The, the liars, the lies, with the sword of my mouth. In Revelation 19, remember John sees heaven open and he sees Jesus on a white horse with a sword that comes from his mouth like a word. And with it, he smites the nations, the, the peoples. Then an angel standing in the sun calls to the birds saying, come, eat the flesh of kings, eat the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of all men. Do you get that? All men. The birds are going to eat your flesh after Jesus cuts it off. You see, your flesh is that thing that you construct believing the lie that you are your own creator, your own savior, your own redeemer. It's that name that you think you have made for yourself. It's your ego which traps you in anxiety and despair and causes you to sin. And you see, it must be cut away by the Word of God who is the judgment of God if you are to ever enjoy God. But you do not need to fear that day if that day is this day. 
So if the word has cut you, separating flesh from spirit, we'll just confess your sins and sing. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. So what is your name? Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is talking to his Spirit, who then must somehow communicate these things to us in the depths of our being. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I wonder what that is. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it, to him who conquers. So how do we conquer? Would you remember how Peter conquered? Jesus told him his name, or at least part of his name, Peter, you're the rock. And for three years, Peter tried to live up to his name. Remember, you can read the story. And what happened? He failed miserably until on the night that Jesus needed him more than any it would appear, he fell asleep. And then as soft as jello under pressure, he denied Jesus three times. And then, according to Scripture, Jesus looked at Peter. And Peter must have seen himself reflected in Jesus' eyes as if his eyes were a mirror, as if his eyes were the judgment. He must have remembered Jesus' words, Peter, you are the rock, and he must have realized that coward was not his name, but, but, but Peter was still his name in the eyes, in the eyes of Jesus. And so Peter was caught. He was cut to the division of soul and spirit. That's flesh and, and spirit. Peter ran out and, and he wept bitterly. He surrendered his soul, his flesh, his pride, his ego, his name. He, received, he surrendered his name. And then he received his name. Resurrected from the dead. I'm saying he didn't make a name for himself, but with a name spoken in grace, Jesus made Peter. And in the same fashion, he would keep making Peter until the day he would hand him a white stone with the name written upon it that no one knows but Peter and Jesus. I'm saying that Peter conquered by being conquered, by grace, which created faith in Peter. Actually, I believe that all will conquer. For ultimately, Jesus conquers all. That's what the Revelation tells us. But please understand, we still must conquer. We still must have faith through the revelation of grace. There's no way that you will uh, enjoy heaven if you do not trust your Father. 1 John 5, 4, everyone who has been born of God conquers the world, and this is the victory that has conquered the world. This is John speaking using the very same words. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Your faith is the life of Christ rising within you and telling you who you are. Any name that does not stick on the resurrected Christ does not stick on you. It's not your name or I should say maybe it does stick on you if you receive it, but it's not your name. 
And your name is the life of Jesus the Christ rising within you. Some, some scholars debate whether the new name is Christ's new name or, or uh, our new name, but it's both. Chapter 3, he writes his own new name on us. He writes his name on us. It's, it's our name. Antipas is named Faithful Witness. That name, Faithful Witness, only appears one other place in the Bible. It just appeared two chapters before on Jesus. It's Jesus' name. It's Antipas' name, and it's Jesus' name. It's their name. Any name that doesn't stick on the resurrected Jesus is not your name. And your name is the life of Jesus rising in you and filling all the empty places that you once thought was you. And so I believe that you will recognize your name on that great day because Jesus is telling you your name all the time. That's why he made time. And he's telling you your name in every place. That's why he made space. So even in the place of sin, God will reveal the wonders of grace. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's what Scripture says. Like God says through Hosea and St. Paul, listen to this. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there, in that place, they will be called sons of the living God. You see, the empty places are being prepared for the revelation of God. And the full places are the presence of God already. Your soul has a curious shape because it is a hollow made to fit a particular swelling in the infinite contours of the divine substance, writes C.S. Lewis. To him that overcometh I will give a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth save he that receiveth it. What can be more a man's own, writes Lewis, than his new name, which even in eternity remains a secret between God and him? And what shall we take this secrecy to mean? Surely that each of the redeemed shall forever know and praise some one aspect of the divine beauty better than any other creature can. Why else were individuals created but that God, loving all infinitely, should love each differently? And this difference, so far uh, from impairing, floods with meaning the love of all blessed creatures for one another, the communion of the saints. If all experienced God in the same way and returned Him an identical worship, the song of the church triumphant would have no symphony. It would be like an orchestra in which all the instruments played the very same note. Heaven is a city and a body and a symphony, a symphony of praise. The new Jerusalem, we find out, is made of living stones. Each one is unique. Each one has a name, and one of them is yours. But right now, you don't need to know your entire name. You only need to know Jesus' name and trust him to reveal your name in time. If you know Jesus' name, you already know where you stand. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. If you know that, you know that you're saved. Yahweh means creator, and that means that you are created John tells us that God is love, and that means that you are the beloved. 
Who else could you be if God is love? How else could you relate to him rather than as the beloved, just like John? So don't play the game. That's the point. Don't play the game. Don't let this world name you. If you know Jesus' name, you already know where you stand. So Robert Fulgham stood there in the church fellowship hall, not knowing what to say to the mermaid who was asking him, where do the mermaids stand? And then he writes this. Every once in a while, I say the right thing. <laughs> the mermaid stands right here by the king of the sea, says I. So we stood there hand in hand, reviewing the troops of wizards, giants, and dwarfs. It is not true, by the way, that mermaids do not exist. I know at least one personally. I have held her hand. Well... Silly story. Now, I don't know if that girl was actually a mermaid, but I do know that she belongs right next to the king of the sea. And I'm convinced that my daughter Becky actually is a pretty, pretty princess. Because I know she belongs to the Prince of Peace. And princess fits with prince. I suspect that all our dreams will somehow be wrapped up in that name printed on that stone. And we will discover that faith, hope, and love grown in this world do not disappoint us. And at last, we will be home, home at heaven, at home in heaven, and at home in the garden that is our own soul. But for now, there's only one name that you need to know. Jesus. He took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. What is this? It's hidden manna. And he's giving it to you right now. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, and he said, drink of it, all of you. As I was preaching, maybe you heard some names that have been given to you over the years. Names that don't fit on the resurrected Jesus, right? So think of those names. These could be some of them. Adulterer, addict, cheat, loser, loner, liar, whore. Think of the name, and now say this after me if you would. In the name of Jesus, that's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. <laughs> now this is mind-boggling, but Scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, I believe that he bears our old names to destruction, and he gives us a new name, and it's his name. 
As I was preaching, maybe you heard some names that do belong on the resurrected Jesus. I mean, maybe names like good or, or beautiful or clean or free or happy or right or, or beloved. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Maybe that's the name you thought of. Um, for those names, say this. Would you say this after me? In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father, for making me who I am. Let's worship. Amen. Dark cups are wine. Light cups are juice. They are both the truth about you. Come to the table and believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say this, too. Scripture says that this is the judgment of God. <laughs> and Paul warns us about the judgment, but that's not because we're going to hurt the judgment. It's because the judgment might hurt us. And so if you think you are a lie about yourself, well, well, this could hurt. But come to the table because you see the judgment is good. And God knows who you are. You're his beloved. Now let's worship. Amen. So, Lord God... We sing hallelujah, praise Yahweh, our creator. We thank you, Lord God, that you create us and that you are creating us and that you're creating us with a name. And now we see that the name is good and the name makes us good. And so we are so grateful that you have called us your own and you make us who we are, and we couldn't be better than the us that you have made us. So, Lord God, thank you. We receive your name. In the name of Jesus, we receive the name. You are our Father. We are your children. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So Scripture says God is love, and God makes us with His Word, the Word of love. And so you are the Beloved. And, and I didn't mean this as like a silly little sermon illustration. I, I mean it as the, the very focus of your warfare against the evil one. When the evil one gives you a name other than the Beloved, you say in the name of Jesus, that's not my name, that's not my name, that's not the name. And then you stand right next to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Revelation goes on to say the one who conquers is the one that is with him, chosen and faithful. So in the name of Jesus, believe the gospel. Amen.